1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Every night, I dream the same dream. Nightmare begins. I did what I had to do. To protect our world. You cannot control everything, Strange. You opened the doorway between universes. And we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda. What do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. I'm sorry, Stephen. Your desecration of reality will not go unpunished. We should tell him the truth. Things just got out of hand. You break the rules. Look out! I become a hero. I do it, I become the enemy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and once again, I have my friend Sean Whalen with me here today. 
How's it going, Sean? It's great. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited to uh, talk about the MOOC today. Yeah, thanks for coming on again. And uh, if you haven't seen the uh, title card for this, we're looking at Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, so we got a reasonably recent movie. And uh, I, I was thinking about this today, and I think I have to be careful not to pigeonhole, Sean, because the last time out we did Spider-Man No Way Home, and I don't want it to be where you know you only come on to do... Uh, you know, superhero things. The first time I had you on was for The Quiet Man, which I liked as a kind of a, a, a change of pace movie. And I think uh, the next one after this, I'm going to ask you to give it some thought and maybe pick something along, the, you know, something different so that we don't just pigeonhole you here. Oh, I love it. Yeah. But for now, we're gonna, I'm going to pigeonhole you for today, uh, you know, as, as the DC podcaster to once again look at a Marvel movie. And before we started to record the episode, we started talking about how we experienced seeing this one, and obviously with the time we're recording this, it is not available yet for streaming. So this is now my second movie in the post-quarantine era that I've gone to, uh, the first being Spider-Man, which Sean and I discussed a couple of months back, and now this is the second one. And uh, I saw it once in the theater because I'm still a little, you know, a little hesitant about going. Uh, but this, you were just saying, this is, you saw it again a second time? I just saw it today, actually, right before recording. I went to like a 4.15 show uh, for the purpose of uh, seeing it again. It was myself and two other people in the theater. And I didn't realize they were there until like the end when I was ready to walk out because they were <laughs> so far back. Um, it's going to that 4.15 show, which is something I've been hitting a lot lately. You know, the 4.15, 4.30 to 5 o'clock range. Um, I go on the way home from work a lot of times to go see a movie. And uh, my wife is not uh, one. She's not like real comfortable. She'll go to the theater with me. She has. But she's not super comfortable doing a even though there's not like a ton of crowd going to the movies right now, still not comfortable with that. So I respect it. So I go myself. I've got one of those movie passes for Regal Cinemas, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll go on the way home from work, especially for things that I know she wouldn't be as interested in seeing anyway. Right. So I like to see them on the big screen, and for me it works out well because that time block is one where it's less attended. So I don't mind going alone, grabbing myself a little snack, sitting and enjoying a movie, and then I'm home, you know, by six something so it's uh you know six or seven depending on which one of the movies i've gone to and it i've been really enjoying it for right now until she's more comfortable going again so it's been kind of a nice way for me to see movies again on the big screen because i i love that experience i just do i i, I don't disagree with you at all but it's, it's funny i have this weird uh mental block about going to the movies alone and it's something that has no logic to it because I really don't want to talk to anybody when I'm in the movies theater with them. I do like the community experience of going with somebody and then talking about it afterwards. But while I'm watching the movie, I don't necessarily need anybody there. When I'm watching a movie at home, I don't necessarily need anybody there. And yet I have only once in my life gone to the movies by myself. And that was, uh, what year was that? 1988, 1987, whenever Die Hard came out. Because for whatever reason, I was busy. I was in school at the time, and I, I wasn't able to see it when it first came out. And then uh, when I finally had the free time to go see it, uh, everybody I knew had seen it already. And no, nobody seemed to want to go see it a second time. So I went by myself to the movies, and I saw it, uh, which I, you know, I loved the movie. 
But I just, I, for some reason, just because of, of a lifetime of going to the movies with people, I felt uncomfortable being alone. And I started doing it with COVID. So uh, after, you know, things started to open up again, I wanted to go to the movies and my wife was not comfortable and I'm not going to force her or pressure her or guilt her into going, you know, it's her feelings are hers and they're valid and I respect them. So I started going and then I grabbed this movie pass thing from Regal where it's uh, you pay a monthly fee and you can see if I, as long as I see two movies a month, I've gotten more than gotten my money's worth. And occasionally I'll get like free tickets from it and things like that. And that's when she'll go. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's we I always take her to a movie that she really wants to see where she feels comfortable. We pick the time where she wants to go. Um, you know, she likes to do the matinees or something like that when there's likely going to be less crowds. And, you know, it's it's been one of those experiences. So that before that, I wasn't going to the movies alone, but I strangely found that. Coming home from work, I really enjoy it. And there's movies that I just prefer to see on the big screen first. And a lot of them are movies like the one we're going to talk about, where there's a spectacle to it. There's uh, some form, you know, it's special effect oriented. You know, the music's going to have the action. There's going to be a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance to it. Mm -hmm. Stuff I like to, I, I, while I enjoy watching them at home, I like the experience of experiencing that with the movie theater sound. And even if there's only two other people in the theater, a little bit of a communal I totally get what you're saying. I totally get it. And, you know, it's funny because... Uh, just to, to pull back a little bit, and I don't want to go too far into this topic, but Sean and I were just talking uh, beforehand a little bit about just, you know, respecting other people's opinions on things and, you know, whether it be politics or other things and just, you know, keep, you know, listening to other people's point of views and keeping an open mind. And clearly, uh, you know, the, the way you just expressed it, you know, as far as your wife goes, you, you, you know, you're totally open to the fact that she's not totally comfortable. You don't pressure her uh, and you just go by yourself. And I think that's all really, really cool. And I give her credit for being comfortable with you going, because I could easily see somebody saying, you know, oh, you went out to the movie theater, I'm not comfortable with you doing that and coming home with those movie theater germs on you, uh, you know, whatever. So, you know, it, it really is a two-way street and just, you know, I, I'm not sure where, where to go with that point, but I just think it's, you know, it's everybody respecting everybody else's opinions, which is really what we need. Uh, I, I could break into song now and sing something silly, but I'm going to just move on from the topic. To your point, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up with this piece. To your point, if, she, if I came home and she said, I'm really not comfortable being around you because you were just in the theater, that would have a different effect on me. So um, I think you're right. I think it is very much a two-way street to that. Having, I, she's, never had, she's never expressed that, never had any issue with it um, other than that. So that's why I kind of feel – and I think I'm more respectful going earlier because of the concerns about her. You know, so that way I'm not like going when we could be hanging out. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's makes perfect sense. You're going to like a four o'clock show, you know. So what are you, you know, you're getting home not not all that much later than you would anyway, and that that seems to work very well as far as you know my mindset goes. So let's let's bring this back to when this movie had not yet opened. Uh, I, I've told you that I, I generally try to avoid trailers. Uh, mm -hmm. If if it's a movie, I know I'm going to see. That's that's like the key caveat to it. If it's a movie, I know I'm going to see. I don't want to see any trailers because I don't want anything spoiled for me. I'd rather go into it fresh. The the one I always point out is uh, Thor Ragnarok's trailer. That it it would have been so much more effective as a movie if you had no idea that the Hulk was going to be in the movie. Uh, but the trailer ruined that. 
in this instance I saw one trailer and it was an early one so it gave very I don't think it really spoiled anything for me other than the fact that the Scarlet Witch was going to be in the movie but as far as her role in it and you know where that was going to go it didn't give you any of that information uh, so you know I was pretty pretty clear as far as preconceived uh, or, or spoilers rather my preconceived notions however did vary off of what we got in the movies because uh, when you know when I saw the title multiverse of madness and having watched the what-if series that was on and having seen no way home I really thought we were gonna see multiple 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 realities with various versions of heroes and I mean we did get some but I expected even more Easter eggs than we got. Uh, and, you know, for better or for worse, I just I, I thought we were going to go from like one one reality to another to another, like what, what they did in the movie itself when they were traveling and they went into the one where they had paint and they went into one where they were cartoon characters. But I expected to see more Easter eggs in those. Uh, and I, that's not to say that it was bad that we didn't have more of that. But I'm curious, you know, where your uh, pre-movie expectations were. So I didn't know, especially with um, Spider-Man and what it had done so recently with kind of incorporating that and then the animated Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. And so there was there was movies that had explored this idea of like a, a Marvelish multiverse uh, in various different ways. So I didn't know where this was going to go. And like you, I really tried hard to avoid. I, I saw we probably saw the same initial trailer and then I was like, okay, I really liked the first Doctor Strange. I really liked the character in its appearance in the MC in his, his appearance in the MCU in general. I've gotten enough right now that I know I want to go see this. I'm going to do my best to stay away. I did hear some rumors like about Reed Richards and things like that uh, that I wish I hadn't heard just because I think that would have had more pop for me if I hadn't known that that was going to happen. Uh, so I, when that, when we got to see the Illuminati, which we'll talk more about, I wasn't as, there were certain characters in it that really did make me go. And we'll talk about it. When we get to it like, go, wow, that was cool. Uh, I wish Reed Richards was one that I didn't know about. Cause I did uh, at least I was teased enough for me that it wasn't the surprise that it could have uh, but there were other things during that Illuminati that, like, okay, they kind of made up for it for this. <laughs> <laughs> and and it wasn't a trailer that had ruined Reed Richards for me. It was just, unfortunately, in my best efforts to stay away from it online, I got a couple things spoiled. I but, did uh, hear the word Illuminati before I saw the movie. So I guess uh, I was kind of living in denial and just kind of heard it and didn't dwell on it in my mind. So... I didn't know, like, I never, I never, I'll be totally honest, it didn't even occur to me that we were going to get that group that we got. I hadn't thought about, oh, is Reed Richards going to be there? Is Professor X going to be there? Like, none of that occurred to me beforehand. Uh, I just kind of let myself be dumb about it. <laughs> and and I'm glad that I did, because that scene was awesome in my mind. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into this. Uh, what I, am I conceived notions um that i was i was more worried about with the film was were they going to overdo the multiverse and, and what i mean by that was not overdoing going to different worlds but 
sometimes you go too far with the different versions of Doctor Strange, and I don't mean I don't mean that we've seen examples of that, but the main character of the film. Let's go yeah. that route, and it gets to the point where I like a fun factor, but what I didn't want from this was I want to laugh, I want humor, I want jokes, I want that element of it. But I don't want it to be so silly that now you have you're making fun of the premise versus mm. it being an enjoyable premise. So I did walk in with that concern, like, is this going to are they going to overdo this where now all of a sudden you make Doctor, seems even funny to stray, say with one of the multiverse words. Are you going to make Doctor Strange too cartoony? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no, I totally get what you're saying. And the other aspect of that that that's one aspect of concern. And the other aspect of concern is that you get so fan servicey that you stop making a movie that's going to appeal to somebody who doesn't have a deep knowledge of the comic universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I wanted, I, I, I'll be totally honest, I wanted fan service, uh, and I got some, you know, and I, and I walked away satisfied with what I got. Uh, but I, I, in my mind, I had seen, I had thought there was going to be even more of it. Uh, and I don't know that that would have made it better, quite frankly, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with what we got. Uh, before I saw this, uh, I saw it on the Saturday after it opened. So it had been, uh, you know, it had been open for about three days before that and one of my friends went to see it in the very first preview show on a midnight show and he did give me the comment of he's getting too old to go to midnight shows uh but he also he absolutely hated it he he went with his son and and told me if he wasn't there with his son he would have walked out before the movie was over which to me is an extreme reaction to a movie because i i don't remember ever walking out of a movie because i was so bothered by it uh so i heard that then the next night my son went with his friends and uh he he came home and said no it was good i enjoyed it uh then tina and i went to see it and uh we both enjoyed it and her son went to see it the next day and we told him before and we said yeah we really enjoyed it let us know how you know you'll how you th- what you think about it and he came back and says uh i hated it and all my friends hated it too so you know my experience is there's a tremendous range of what people thought of this movie did they say why they disliked it or i mean and i mean that's not it's not more and to be clear i'm not attacking their views i'm curious like what, what was it that because you're right i i've this has been one of those films where I have friends of mine that went that aren't and they're not big DC or Marvel Comics fans. They went and really enjoyed it. Uh, I have other friends of mine that was like, oh, that just wasn't for me. I get that you liked it, but it wasn't for me. So um, it was and and really it was hard to pin down for my friend that didn't like it that we, we had a long conversation about it. It was hard for him to pin down the why. He is the word he used was it was kind of ridiculous and hard to follow is what he said. And I said I could it was something because my personal experience I couldn't relate to because that wasn't my experience that I had with the film. I'm just curious as to what if they gave you any idea what they didn't like about it. Yeah, well, the uh, my my stepson apparently 
thought it was con- confusing to him and that there, I guess there were too many insider moments. He just didn't find it enjoyable. My friend was a little bit harder to, uh, to pin down. He, he, he criticized the acting. He didn't think it was good, which I totally disagreed with, frankly. Uh, he didn't like the direction. He didn't like the story itself. He thought it, it that it, that it, you know, in his opinion, it, it got just a little too over the top. Uh, I didn't agree. Uh, I, you know, I, and, and I think I've made it clear on this show and on every show I've ever done, I totally respect everybody, you know, everybody's right to a different opinion. So the fact mm-hmm. that he didn't like it, I wouldn't argue with him to say, well, you should have liked it. Uh, on the other hand, I think it annoyed him that I liked it. <laughs> so that doesn't necessarily get reciprocated. Uh, you know, I, I, there was an article in the New York Post after the, the uh, sneak premiere where the article went on saying Marvel has gone too far with these movies and now that they're just, you know, pumping out mediocrity. That was, a, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's effectively what they were saying. Uh, they kind of said, you know, in, in the recent run of movies, uh, other than No Way Home and to a lesser extent Shang-Chi, they didn't like anything that was coming out, you know, with Black Widow and with uh, The Eternals and with this movie. Uh, you know, they, they, they were very, very down on, on them and, and saying, you know, that basically, effectively they're saying that, you know, the MCU has, has jumped the shark. Uh, I don't agree at all. I, I, yeah, I, I don't either. You know, I, I, I do think there is a varying standard that we go with a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was sitting down the other day and I was trying to kind of put the Marvel movies in order of my, uh, and I was trying to kind of factor in two things. Uh, you know, quality movie, enjoyable movie, because that's not always the same thing. Uh, but I was trying to, to, you know, use both of those as, as a factor. Um, you know, it, it, at the top of the list, I almost always end up coming back to Winter Soldier being the, uh, the gold standard. Uh, and Thor The Dark World was the lowest on the list, and my, my argument was always... It may be lowest on the list, but I enjoyed it. So I don't think it's a bad movie. It's just the lowest on my list. Uh, Eternals has kind of usurped that as lowest on my list, but I didn't think Eternals was bad. I just thought it was a little slower moving than it needed to be. I thought it could have been. I, I thought it could have been tighter. Uh, and I think this, that this year was funny. It. Just looking at the movies from this year, as you're mentioning Eternals, I will say this: I edge out, and people might disagree with me. In respect, if you do. I liked Black Widow, but I liked Eternals more than Black Widow mm-hmm. out of the books that came out this year, mainly because of the fact that I've never read a ton of Eternals. Uh, I thought it was a good movie, getting my feet wet, getting to know the characters, things like that. Was it my favorite of the ones from this year? If I were putting them in order for this year, and I could do it really quick, Spider-Man No Way Home was just, I think, wicked fun for me, so that I put that one at the top. Um, I kind of don't want to spoil where I'm going with this film, but well, I can say <laughs> I would say this this one it's this one and Shang Chi that I would say kind of fight for number two. If that makes any sense, and then um, Eternals and uh, Black Widow. If I was going for those films um, in order, 
And uh, the Eternals, I think it's more the curiosity aspect of something fresh and new. I'm not saying Black Widow was a bad movie. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it. But uh, if I was putting them in an order, that would be my personal order for the movies. And I think with this film, because I've just saw it the second time, I needed to settle a little bit more before I can decide which one between Shang-Chi and this. Um, Just because Shang-Chi was good fun, too. And so it was it's, it was an interesting sort of year, but I don't think they've jumped the shark. I'm glad that they're expl- I think in order to avoid jumping the shark, they need to do what they're doing, where take a look at some of their unique properties and try to find, you know, keep finding fresh ones to put out as you're doing sequels of some of your more well-known properties, because um there's been some of those films we talked about just now that were that were clearly attempts to try and explore something new and different, like they're doing with the Disney Plus. Uh, I I totally agree with what you're saying there. Uh, I think that it is important for them to expand it because when I look at the comic book universe and if I use that as my model, uh, I think it's it got better and better as they expanded it. Uh, because it just gave them more possibilities and it gave them the ability to explore things that, you know, that, that they might not otherwise do and have relationships and, and have a big universe of, of characters out there. I, I, I think that's one of the things that I've always loved about the comic book universe. And I think Marvel was kind of the the forerunner on that. I think, you know, even though DC had its its universe, but I think when, you know, when Stan Lee started and, and you know, the universe built and built and built and eventually people, you know, went from there and, and created more characters that went in. I think as that showed success, I think DC saw that and said, hey, you know what, we need to do more of that, too. Uh, you know, and then now I'm talking exclusively in the comics right now. Mm-hmm. But I think the cinematic universe has has learned from the comic book universe and they did it. I thought they did it exactly the right way. Excuse me. They introduced a couple of characters. They showed little tidbits to show that they were in the same world. And then eventually they merged it big time. Uh, and then, you know, you, you could just become stagnant on that world or you can keep doing what you're doing. And I think that's I think this is the way to go. And you're going to have varying levels of success. Uh, I still don't think the Marvel Cinematic Universe has produced what I would consider to be a bad movie or a movie that I was disappointed to see. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I, I think the biggest complaint I have about Black Widow is that they probably should have made that movie, you know, five or six years ago before they did what they did to the character, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when, when it would have had a little bit more gravitas. Uh, but just the same, I thought it was an enjoyable movie. And, and the Eternals was, you know, it, 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 again, I'm not going to say it was a failure because uh, there were definitely things in it that I enjoyed. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, the movie could have been a little bit tighter. Uh, and that's that's really uh, you know my biggest criticism of it is that, that it it slowed down at parts and it, and it became a little confusing because they were just throwing so many characters at you without you uh, really being properly introduced to them in my opinion and then they were jumping around in the timeline and then I don't want to make this an Eternals review <laughs> but I seem to be <laughs> going there uh, but that's that's really you know my I, I just think I think they could have taken those characters and made a better movie than they did not that they made a bad movie but I think they could have made a better movie uh, you know more along the lines of what they did with Guardians and that's that's not easy either way well I think and I think it's hard to strike lightning like that and I think it's sometimes hard to know what audiences are going to respond to because uh, it's funny, now, now we talk about Doctor Strange. So 
are you so we've got this interesting era now where there are people that approach the MCU movies and then listeners to this who maybe people like I, I go see all the MCU movies. I'm an MCU fan. And there's nothing wrong with that. That may have been your exposure to these characters and you may be a devotee and um, you might be a casual devotee where it's like I, I just go and see some of the movies based on my interest. Uh, and then there's the people that are comic book fans like you and I are. What is uh, do you have a long hit? What's your history with Doctor Strange? Is Doctor Strange a character that has been a favorite of yours or is it a character that more you've gotten to know from the film or where where is your history with Doctor Strange at? Oh, my my history is definitely from the comics there. Uh, He's he's a character. I could say this about a lot of comic characters as, as far as my earlier time where I was more a fan of the character in theory than I was in reality. Like I knew who the character was. I had read him in some things more, more mostly early on in my comic reading. I had read him in the defenders. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and that was where I got my initial familiarity with him. And then we had the, uh, the, uh, run on, on Dr. Strange, which, uh, you know, I'm being a little bit older than you. I, I have a memory of when they had the books with the, that Frank Bruno was drawing and that was really, really trippy stuff, and I, I got kind of a little lost on it because I didn't use uh, mind-altering substances. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with the Doctor, the uh, Defenders version because that's a little bit more superhero-ish. So I, I was kind of a f- fan of the character in theory uh, until, I don't know, maybe about probably close to 15 years ago, I decided to do a, a Doctor Strange read-through. And I started, you know, in Strange Tales, and I worked my way up. And I read, you know, I read, you know, well into the Marvel premiere, and then in, in being a little beyond that into the Doctor Strange solo series. And I got a better feel for the character itself and his history. And, uh, you know, it, it got a little... You know, some of the issues, like uh, a lot of the early Marvel stuff, some of it had some growing pains and, you know, it seemed like Stan didn't exactly know where to go with the character. But but I, I developed more of a respect for the character as time went on. Uh, and that's where I can tie that into this movie a little bit because I did feel following the first movie that, as much as I enjoyed it, and I really did, I didn't think they got the character totally right. It seemed to me like they were trying to go for the MCU Tony Stark attitude. They made him very quippy uh, and very clever in his comments that he was making, and that's not the Doctor Strange I know from the comics. I never really saw him as being that way. In this particular movie, I thought he was much more like the Doctor Strange I grew up or I spent time reading over the years. Uh, he was a little bit more conflicted and he was a little bit arrogant at times and he wasn't quite so quippy except for when he commented about, uh, uh, what you call it, Dr. S- uh, about Black Bolt having the tuning fork on his head. Uh, like he, he didn't really get very quippy in this and, and he was he didn't seem like he was just another version of, of, of Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark. It seemed like he was making more the character his own. And I, I really appreciated that about this movie. Yeah, I think this is one of, for myself, I, I would agree with you. I think this is one of my uh, favorite appearances of him. I think he's kind of evolved gradually. Uh, I The first film, I think, did what it needed to do in the sense that I think you've got to introduce the basic premise of the character to an audience, you know, give the backstory and history of the character. And I think that the movie served its purpose. 
I enjoyed the first movie, but I felt like this one, it's like, it was fun to have a movie with that out of the way. Like, okay, now let's tell a Doctor Strange story and and really try to focus on that. And I think the character's development benefited from that because I think we got a lot more um, of the relationship aspect, I thought was an interesting thing to play off of this. I thought Rachel McAdams did a pretty good job as um, Christine and uh, seeing the different variations of Christine and and how Stephen being Stephen, it's almost it almost was kind of validating what you were saying, where it's kind of hard to always like Stephen before. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt like as this um, movie went on, we got a, a better exploration of. Stephen Strange versus Doctor Strange, kind of the duality of, you know, who this guy was and how who he grew into. And I I liked that aspect of this film. I, I found that he was a lot more of the comic book characters. My exposure to him in comics was like you defenders more than anything else. Um I you know, a lot of team books from flea markets and things like that that I would pick up and defenders wound up being one that sometimes get in those old comic book three packs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, so I didn't read like even Defenders where I read like every issue, but I certain sometimes would read like two or three issues of it. And and I always enjoyed the concept. But Doctor Strange was a character. I You nailed it before, I think, in your presentation of the concept was cool, but yet I don't like necessarily have this deep connection with wanting to follow him. I did read David Quinn's run on um, Doctor Strange. And it was just at a time where I'm like, I've always liked the concept of this character. I'm not quite sure why I haven't read him. And I liked David Quinn's run quite a bit of the character. And Mark Wade did a run recently that uh, I read that I really enjoyed. Uh, he's a character that it's strange that I, it's, it's no pun intended. It's strange that I haven't read more Doctor Strange. But what I have read, I've enjoyed, and a lot more of my exposure to him has been team book-oriented defenders more so than his own stuff, other than the occasional issue of Strange Tales that I would have picked up from the past from a flea market or something. I used to get big boxes from flea markets of assorted stuff, and uh, they were typical beat-up books and things, but boy, it was great to just be able to read comics. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the the pleasures of my youth. But um, this movie, it was interesting. I liked this evolution of Doctor Strange. And I think maybe it is more because I felt like you, that this was closer to my feelings of what he was like in the comics. And that was something I was more attached to, I think, this time around. And that helped the film a great deal for me to feel like I, I know Doctor Strange that I'm seeing presented before me on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, 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 I'm I afraid that, like, the way I'm saying it is almost like I'm putting down the first movie, which I enjoyed the first movie very much, and, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's that's not where it is. But I just think that one of the things this movie did better than that one, and there's things this one did better than that one, and there's things that this one did not quite as good as that one. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, the one thing I think it did better was to hit the character the way I know him. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm I'm happy with that. I, I'm I'm very glad to have seen that. And and you know it was one of the things I walked out of the movie theater being happy about. Um, to, you know one of the things that that they changed from the comics, and I couldn't be more happy about it. Unless 
uh, let me put a little uh, qualifier on that. I haven't read, say, anything that's come out in the last four or five years from Doctor Strange. So, I, you know, you have to eliminate any of that from the equation. Uh, but in the comics that I've read, Wong was always kind of just, you know, he was the manservant and he was... Uh, you know, kind of ineffectual as a sorcerer himself. He was, he was kind of like he was there to be Doctor Strange version, Doctor Strange's version of Jarvis, uh, and he dabbled in some martial arts and and you know some minor uh, sorcery, but he was not a worthy equal in any way to Doctor Strange. In this, uh, Benedict Wong as Wong uh, is not only a I, not only a, a worthy character, but you know, having having had him named as the sorcerer sorcerer supreme in these stories, you know, really ups his character's gravitas, and just his interaction with Doctor Strange, even though he is just a supporting character, he, from the first movie and when he appeared in Avengers Endgame and here, uh, I feel like he's the glue that holds this part of the world together. He he just adds so much to the movies and that's something they changed from the comics that i appreciate the fact that they changed and he's done cameos in some of the other films and i've really enjoyed right. it um, i think he's a character that i've i'm with you i thought that was a good choice i, I don't know if they've done it to your to your point i haven't read i've read so a I guess an okay amount of Doctor Strange, but I don't remember him being the Sorcerer Supreme. That's probably a what if or something like that, if, if anywhere. But I know in my reading of Doctor Strange, there have been other characters that have taken on the role of Sorcerer Supreme. So I think it's cool that they're playing with that concept, that it's not something that Doctor Strange just holds on to. I think that is a very comic book thing to plug in there and go, well, he was the Sorcerer Supreme, but now it's actually Wong, and there's reasons why. <laughs> uh, and I like that they're playing around with that and um, giving this universe um, that kind of dynamic. He, you're right, he is... I, the actor, uh, Benedict Wong, I think is just doing a great job as the character. He's very likable. And the interplay between the two of them, I think, benefits Doctor Strange. It benefits, you know, I think it benefits the true Doctor Strange because you almost need Wong to soften some of that, if it makes any sense. I think they play off each other really well. It's a nice balancing act with the two of them in a way that uh, I think is, is helpful because he sometimes calls, like, Stephen out. <laughs> yeah, he calls him out when he when he's, goes over the line and... He, he humanizes, you know, there's one of the things about Doctor Strange, the character as I know him from the comics, is he's a little aloof and he's a little, you know, pompous about his opinions and everything. And having a character, having him get more like that as the character has been developed in the, in the films, you need somebody there who's going to call him on it and say, whoa, you know, stop, stop the crap. We're not putting up with that. And Wong is that character. And, and I think he serves that purpose beautifully in these movies. And it makes Doctor Strange feel more human, because I think when you have people that are close to him that aren't afraid to interact with him that way. And, and I, I think Rachel McAdams did a great job of doing it. I think Benedict Wong did it. Um, and I think um, the character of America Chavez did a great job of that. I thought it was there was so, certain characters, their interactions made Doctor Strange feel 
more like a well-rounded three-dimensional human character. And, and that's pretty important in these films that you've got to feel that these people are starting to come to life during the time that you're on the film, that they have a humanity to them and, and that they're not always perfect uh, and that they can learn from their mistakes and grow from their mistakes uh, or sometimes grow from the mistakes of their duplicates <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe not, and maybe not be doomed to repeat them. And if you, if you know, if you're a student of comics, as I believe we both are, and you look to the early comics, you know, if you look to the golden age books and even to the beginning of the silver age, uh, there was a tendency to make the heroic characters almost interchangeable, uh, you yeah. know, where, where they didn't really have unique personalities. And then as time went on and, you know, the writers built on the ground that other writers had laid for them, you know, they started to give the characters more individual personality traits. And it becomes a little bit of a balancing act that you want to make these, you know, human characters with their own personalities and to some extent flawed, but still have them be characters who you root for and still have them be characters who are heroic in their own way. And it's not always easy to do that. And Doctor Strange, I think, is one of the characters where it's a little bit more difficult to write that because he is, you know, at least at the way, as I know the character, he is pompous and he is a little bit closed-minded in his way of thinking that, you know, he's always right. Uh, and, and when he's written right, I think, you know, there's several characters in the Marvel Universe who could fit that mold. Uh, you know, Reed Richards, who we're going to talk a little bit more about, is probably very similar in his own way. Uh, so to make them human, but still make you want to read more of them and like them, that's a balancing act, and it's tough to do. And I think this movie really did catch that. Uh, I think that, you know, they showed him as as a somewhat flawed you know, somebody with a flawed way of looking at things, but somebody who you could respect what he does. And and I think they've humanized him uh, with America Chavez and, and you know, the uh, faux parental relationship that he took on. And they did it in, in No Way Home with, with the same kind of relationship with Peter Parker. Uh, I, you know, there's a I, I just think it's great as they develop the character more and more and more and make him his own. And that's one of the things that I saw as a, as a real strength in this movie. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's where you were talking about earlier. Some sometimes early comics had a tendency if if it wasn't that the main character could be interchangeable with other similar main characters, it's sometimes that the supporting cast was very flat and like served a very similar purpose that were in other books. And I think as time went on and writers started to open up and get a little more clever, um, the they started fleshing out the supporting cast, and that's how the supporting cast of a lot of these, a lot of the top tier books or the long standing books, survived was fleshing out some of your supporting cast, so then they became the people that could add some distinction or differentiation to the main characters. Um, it's the, the interactions that make sense, and we see it in this film. I think uh, a lot of the leads um, serve that purpose of adding some personality in places where you needed it in this film in order to round it off. Now, let's, since, since you, you brought us to America Chavez a little bit, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to mention that uh, the last time you and I had a chance to do a show together, we did Spider-Man No Way Out, and we uh, talked towards the end of that about that we believe there was a... Uh, uh, a, you know, a scheduling issue because of COVID and that this was supposed to take place 
before that. And I have since heard, I haven't seen it, you know, confirmed by, by like Kevin Feige or anything, but I, I've heard that that is in fact the case and that America Chavez was supposed to be in No Way Home uh, and they had to eliminate the character because this movie hadn't been made yet. Uh, mm. So that that's kind of an interesting thought to me. I was a little surprised that they gave her such a key role in the movie. Uh, not that that was a bad thing, because I thought her character was kind of interesting, and I, I thought she played it well. Uh, but just because she was, you know, somebody brand new being introduced as as a supporting character, and I, I was a little surprised just quite how much screen time she got. Uh, but it turned out, you know, I I don't think that was a bad choice because I I thought it was well done. Uh, I like to see i think you know she's a precursor to the young avengers coming because we're little by little you know we have kate bishop we have her uh we we were i think we were introduced if i remember right in the uh falcon and winter soldier to uh i, I can't remember the name now the uh the the black uh captain america the, the black super soldier candidate uh who's now elderly and he was his grandson yes is in the young avengers Yes, uh, I can't remember. I think his name is Eli or something. Uh, but yeah, but that character I'm, becomes one of the young Avengers as well. So we have him. You know, we, we're we're getting these. We we have uh, Hawkeye's daughter, uh, or, or rather Ant Man's daughter. I'm sorry. Uh, so all all these characters, I I, I think, are eventually going to either give us a uh, young Avengers TV show or a young Avengers movie at some point. Yeah, it was Eli Bradley. That's it. Um, the character that was in it was the, he's the grandson of Isaiah Isaiah, Isaiah Bradley, and uh, he was a, I just, and I'm I'm looking it up by the way because it was driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I read I read the I think the first two story arcs of that, and uh, if I remember right, he you know it, it, they made him a, a, a complex character too because he ended up like taking on some sort of super soldier serum that. Uh, you know, was going to potentially unbalance his mind or something like that, but he did it anyway because he was trying to live up to his grandfather's legacy. And you know, I, I just I love when they make these characters three dimensional. I really do. I think one of the things that the MCU is doing a really good job with, and it's a challenge, they're doing a good job of putting in things for people that have been watching everything, you know, or or most of it. Where it's like, oh, I remember that character. They're gradually building in characters, introducing characters along the way. So there's something satisfying when you get to, like film five, and now it's the Young Avengers film. Just for an example of where where this conversation's, you know, hopefully going. I'd actually love to see that movie. So yeah. uh, or TV series, however they're going to work that. Um, I love that aspect of it. And where where I say I think they're doing a good job, this one is a film. You know, we're talking about Wanda and and her role in this. There's really a powerful component to this if you watched WandaVision and you've seen what happened to her and Vision in the uh, two Avengers movies where, you know, everything kind of, well, actually their whole relationship building up to it. Yet, I had a friend of mine who likes Benedict Cumberbatch and saw the two Doctor Strange movies and has not seen the others. And the first question I asked is, so were you lost on the Scarlet Witch stuff? And he said, 
it took me a little bit to catch what was going on, but he said I did. You know, she'd experienced some loss. He uh, he doesn't know totally, you know, about vision and all those pieces because it was this film that was introducing the concept. But he said this is somebody who clearly experienced loss and wants to have, you know, I was trying to figure out what the draw is for the kids, but clearly she knows that she's missing being a mother in this world. Whereas other versions of her had that opportunity. Right. And, um, he said, I didn't feel like I was lost as far as her motivation though. He said, I I felt like that was it. She really desires what these other versions of her have had because it's something that's missing from her life. And I, I compliment them for finding a balance of that because I like the interconnectivity of everything. I feel like for me, as somebody who's viewed all of that and watched all the TV shows, watched all of, I like the value of, okay, these things, there's little, it's cool that they all feel interconnected and you can put a chronological kind of spin on all of this. But it should be watchable to somebody who's like, this was their first movie. And I think they did a good job of that. And it's a tricky balance because you're there's always going to be that thing you missed last issue. <laughs> and I think the MCU's become that, where people who would jump into this film, there's certain certain things you need you could have watched beforehand and would have given you an expanded story to this. But I think they did a good job of making it enough information was given in this that you understand the things that you really need to know at the core in order to be enjoy, able to enjoy this film. And that's tricky to do with how big this MCU has become. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think possibly more, more than anything since Endgame. Uh, I think Endgame beats it out as far as that goes. But other oh, yeah. than other than that, I think this may be the movie where you need just a little bit more of a background to kind of understand what's going on. And that you may not that you can't enjoy this movie without having the background, but I think you lose some of the the richness of it. So you know, it's good that somebody can definitely watch it and and not have any issue as far as that goes. But I do think there there's more to be taken from you know from having that that understanding of what went on and and i think that that leads me to my next point actually really well thank thank you for the segue sean uh i'm here for you buddy (laughs) (laughs) uh what i heard again i have to uh you know i i i think it's actual but i don't have i haven't been able to to follow up enough to get back up on this what i heard was they were you know because of the covid situation they were filming things uh, a little bit more uh, restricted than you would do in the past. So they got delayed filming uh, WandaVision. And apparently, uh, what's her name? Uh, Elizabeth Olsen went straight from the set of that to the set of this, like, you know, within like a week and no no more time than that. Uh, and that, uh, that what's her Sam Raimi hadn't even been able to watch WandaVision before he started filming this. You know, he oh, wow. he had enough information to know what went on, but he had not seen it because it hadn't been completed yet. So I, I find that to be, you know, tough. And then uh, 
this was originally supposed to be directed by someone else. Uh, and, and, uh, was it Scott Derrickson? I believe, uh, was, was going to be the, uh, director. And then he came off of it and, uh, Sam Raimi took over. So I think there's, you know, there was, there was a little bit of a troubled beginning to this, but I do think that they managed to take it and, and put it into place, uh, much better than, than, than when, uh, when they had to, when they were making the justice league movie and they handed it off. And that's a great example. Here's the thing you could give, I guess in your mind, you give a little extra credit to it because of the COVID issues that they were facing off of this. I will say, I think your justice league comparison is really valid. Having seen the two versions of that, in the sense that I don't feel like this felt like it had the turmoil that, you know, the issues that you're talking about. Whereas other films in the past that I've seen, I'm not, you know, just referring to Justice League, other films I've seen in the past that have had that issues, it's clear that that's a thing. I felt like this, having watched WandaVision, I felt like this flowed pretty seamlessly off of WandaVision, uh, where... I felt like this was very representative of she went through these events and we have seen her. Actually, I feel like more time passed for her in this film than from WandaVision than perhaps actually passed for the actress. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds like she jumped right from one set to the other. And this had a sense of there's been some time since the events of WandaVision that have led her to where she was at. And uh, that's, you know, especially the point where she was reflecting on Stephen showing up on the scene and like he was going to address some of her actions. Um, He even was presenting himself like some time had passed, like he was aware of the events and, you know, this wasn't something that he was finally getting to. Right. So I, I thought that was something that the film did really well. There was a sense of progression of time in between that series and uh, this. How did you feel about them effectively making Wanda the villain of the piece? I don't, you know, it's normally with my heroes, I don't like that. But I think in the comics, you know, we've had things like House of M. We've had stories where Wanda has crossed the line so i think my comfort level of wanda like skirting the lines because of what i've seen from her in the past is it it's hard because i loved uh one of my comic book joys was the original vision and scarlet witch miniseries mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm. and I, I thought that was just a tremendous series with the two of them so she's she's a character who and my love for scarlet witch goes before that being, I was an X-Men junkie growing up, so the evolution of that character and you know her growing over time was is, she's somebody who I've really enjoyed. Um, it was an interesting sort of piece. Uh, I think my comfort level is because of the comics is a little bit more open to that because I've seen it before. Um, I, I'm, I guess I'd be more curious. I'd lo- actually would love to hear your thoughts on it. And I would be curious to see maybe people who have, don't have the comic book experience with her doing that, what their comfort level is. Cause that's pretty bold when you haven't had that exposure. It's a bold move to make with a character 
Um, and so I, I was that's my first impression is that's a bold choice to make because you're not just we're actually the minority being the comic book readers um, compared to the larger audience. But what was your thoughts on it? I, I, I actually liked the choice. I thought it was bold. I thought she made a very effective villain. I'll, I'll start off there. Uh, I thought Elizabeth Olsen did a, a magnificent job of, of portraying the uh, just the, the agony that she was under because of the whole events of mm-hmm. WandaVision and, and uh, you know, an Infinity War, you know, when, when Vision was uh, sacrificed, for lack of a better word. Uh, and just, you know, how it, how it's caused her to be mentally unbalanced. I think, you know, the combination of that, losing her brother, everything that's just gone on in her life, she's just had to deal with, you know, trials and tribulations that nobody should have to deal with. Uh, and she kind of snapped. And I thought Elizabeth Olsen did a really, really nice job of portraying that. Uh, and I thought Raimi did a good job. I, I think the, you know, Raimi and the writers, uh, that scene when Dr. Strange first comes to see her and she's, you know, in this beautiful meadow, uh, you know, and the birds are making, you know, singing and everything's beautiful until he just kind of calls her on it. And then, you know, we see the dark, dreary place that she's really in. And I think, you know, that's, that's all a metaphor for what's going on in her mind. Uh, and, and I just thought that was, you know, really, really well done. The, issue I have, if any, and I'm not sure I really do, is I do, like you, don't like them downgrading my heroes. Uh, And after what happened in the movie, we're going to, again, I'm going to just keep pushing off that we're not going to talk about the Illuminati yet. But after what she did to the Illuminati in this movie, is her character redeemable? You know, they, they had her see the error of her ways at the end. But is she in any way redeemable at this point? Because, you know, what she did was uh, not only, you know, vicious, but it was just so over the top. And, and uh, you know, I that's that's where I, I, I just wonder where they can take the character at this point. And I'm not sure. And I just don't ever I don't ever like to just take my characters off the table. You know, that that's uh, as much as I absolutely adored Endgame. You know, ending it with uh, with Iron Man's deaths. By the way, spoilers if anybody hasn't seen Endgame. Uh, and and Captain America, you know, now being an old man and and you know basically telling us they're off the table now for future movies. Uh, you know that that always hurts my my mind to think. Well, I'm not going to get any more of them. Uh, so you know, in that respect, I'm not happy that we may be losing out on Wanda as a character if they decide that she can't be redeemed. I don't want her to continuously come back as a villain, uh, but I don't know if you can redeem her, and that's my biggest complaint about it. It's interesting. Um, I, I think I don't disagree with you. I think my question is, I think is this the end for Wanda? I, and the way this movie ends, you could see that potentially be an ending for her. I, I think you can do a redemption story with her. I think the question is where and how do you give it enough time that it feels satisfying? Because, uh, you know, using comic books as an example, you have something long form. You know, is there a WandaVision 2, for example, or something like that, maybe where that story can be told? Uh, I don't know. You know, and uh, it it almost seems like it's something that would be more suitable for a uh, another Disney Plus series or something versus being on the screen just because it needs some time. Mm-hmm. 
And so can it be done? Yes. Is somebody is that story on somebody's radar? I don't know. Uh, I'd watch it for sure. I'd love to see how they could get there. Um, and I think, a, you know, any, like anything, a clever writer could take us there. Yeah, I, I am not a clever writer. I, I You know, I, I openly acknowledge that. But the way I see this somehow going, if, if you do want to redeem her, and I'll talk in a minute why I feel it's important to redeem her in some way. Uh, okay. But I, I think what I would do is I just have her have a minor role in some of the movies where she you know, she's behind the scenes in some way and she's helping people and she's doing things, uh, you know, where eventually we can go to a WandaVision too. But, but I think I, I would rather have a little build up to it before you, you know, sure. you just throw us right into that. So, you know, and I, I don't know that that's particularly writing on my part. I just think it's, you know, that's, that's the way I see it as being a, something where you can soften, our way into it a little bit and then have her tested in, in a series, uh, you know, a, a second season, uh, and, and have her, you know, show whatever she needs to do to be redeemed. Uh, and it, it you know, it, it's, a, it's going to be a, a very difficult task for them to do. Uh, at its best though, the MCU does, when I say at its best, it doesn't always do this well, but, um, when it's at its best, those nuggets where you see little pieces behind the scenes and you could do that with Wanda the way that you have. And I actually love the way that you're presenting that behind the scenes, you know, helping out little, little nuggets and even being called out on it by maybe some other, you know, if there's an Illuminati or something, she's working in a new Illuminati or a different multiverse arm, arm, our worth. Uh, Illuminati behind the scenes that are even questioning her. Why won't you reveal yourself or anything like that? And, you know, she shows that because I know I did some, what I did was wrong or, I mean, you could actually build little nuggets in of remorse, yeah. you know, and gradually build that. There are ways to do that. I think that would be really effective if the storytelling is there. And I think that's where there has to be a, like a written pathway for her to that i would love to see it i i don't know if we're gonna see it but i like her a great deal as wanda so if there's an opportunity for them to do more with her um she's shown a lot of range and i think the character's compelling so do i think the character's redeemable yes and i think i think you're right i think if they don't eventually do something with that there's a missed opportunity actually because there's something to this character. Uh, I loved WandaVision. I thought it, it was not, it was, in some ways, it was what I expect was expecting from some of the teaser trailers. And then it became, in some ways, nothing that I was expecting. And I think this film has taken her as a villain in, in a direction where, yeah, I've seen her as a villain before, but they, they kind of gave it a unique depth. And... I would love to see more with her and you're to your, I, I actually love your whole premise of a gradual build <laughs> to something more substantial. Um, I think that would be the way to do it. And it would be something I would like, to, I would like to see uh, it's that would be on my wish list out of this would be to eventually see that. I wonder, I wonder if we might see it in this apparently, you know, I, I, I totally forgotten until we're just talking about it, but that there was like an announcement that they were going to have a Disney series, Agatha house of Harkness. 
Yeah. And I wonder if that's where, you know, you have the opportunity to just start slowly redeeming her. Uh, I, I just wanted to make a point on her a little bit that, you know, if, if you, again, you know, I, I talk about the progression of comics over the years. And in the 1960s, when they introduced some of these characters, and I'm talking about the, the, the women characters in the comics, uh, you know, Sue Storm and, and the Scarlet Witch and Marvel Girl. And, you know, th- those were like, I guess, your key female superheroes in, in the 60s. Uh, they often treated them like they were, uh, you know, the damsel in distress in the group. You know, the villain would kidnap them and hold them hostage and the male heroes would have to rescue them. And it was a tried and true story trope from years before. And they did that. And, you know... It, it eventually, I think, you know, wore out its welcome a little bit. And eventually, uh, in the 1970s and the 1980s, Sue Storm became the strongest member of the Fantastic Four. And the Scarlet Witch became the strongest member of the Avengers. And, and Marvel Girl became the strongest member of the X-Men. And, and they did so, in my opinion, in more or less an organic way, which I thought was important. They didn't just ram it down your throat that, hey, by the way, uh, they're strong. You know, they, they, they let the stories develop and they showed you that they had these different ways of using their powers that, that made them so much more formidable than anybody realized they were beforehand. Uh, and I think that's an important development that Marvel had. And, and, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a big, champion of everybody's rights and everybody needs to be presented and all of this and i'm not that's not to say i don't think that stuff is important but i think you know you tell your stories and you move on uh but once you develop that i don't think you should go back and i think that since she was one of in my mind the first three to really have that strength shown to her i'd hate to have her put on the shelf at this point just as a comic book historian I think there's more story to be told. Yeah, I agree. So, I think there's, there's I, a lot of storytelling opportunities. Yeah. I think that's a waste when you've got a character who I think is, you've got a great actress playing a character who I think she really understands. And I think there's more, there's, it's a complex character that I don't think, I think this film was another chapter versus the conclusion. Um, yeah, the way they ended it, could look like a conclusion, but I don't think that would be, it would be a shame if, and a missed opportunity if they leave it there. And there's some extent where I'm, you know, I'm thinking Robert Downey Jr. is in his late fifties now. So I understand where you get to a point where you say, well, you know, he's getting a little older to, to be playing, you know, the, the action superhero uh, role. I don't, I don't necessarily think he's aged out of it that he couldn't do have done it a little bit more. But I understand the concept a little bit that, you know, you want to, you know, I'm I'm a big Star Trek fan and people point to the later iterations of, of, you know, the Star Trek movies when they were getting a little long in the tooth and saying, hey, you know, it's time for them to move out of the way and let a younger group take over. Uh, And I understand the logic there. But, you know, Elizabeth Olsen, uh, if I understand right, is only in her early 30s. So I think, you know, you have plenty of time to, to work with her character. She certainly hasn't aged out of it yet. Uh, so I, I, I would like to see her develop more. And, and again, uh, the more the more I think about this and the more we talk about it, I think this uh, Agatha Harkness series is the perfect vehicle for them to, to, to not make her the star of the show, but maybe give her a supporting role where she can, you know, slowly redeem herself. I just don't want it to be all, you know, two minutes so she's all better. 
I also don't want the MCU to become this thing where every character has to be defeated. Every character has to be killed, has to age out, has to retire. I think that's not normal in the comic book world for that to happen. I think there's a point. I don't think they have to follow and be beholden to exactly how the comics have done it. And, you know, okay, it might made sense with, they gave a really powerful ending to Iron Man. Um, and I think at the same time, they did something really interesting with Captain America there. So those things make sense. But I love that we're getting a new Thor flick, you know, and we're, where's that going to go? Mm-hmm. And, I, I would love to see more stories with Wanda. I think there's certain characters where I think you need a balance of, yes, bring in new and fresh characters. Yes, develop new and fresh teams. But I think you also need a balance of the old guard because we all like to see our favorites keep going and overcome. And just when you think they're down and out, or, or when they've made horrible mistakes or when things have gone wrong, you see them rise up again because that's even harder, right? Wanda's in a place right now where I think you're hitting the compelling story here. How do you redeem her? Well, that is the ch- that's a story where we've all been in that place to varying degrees where we've been at our lowest, right? I think there's a cool story to be told with how do you dig yourself out? Now, did you were you a fan of Breaking Bad? Yes, I, I'm a huge fan of that. I, I, I've often said I think it's the best dramatic TV series I've ever seen uh, from beginning to end. And uh, a lot of people have opined, and I can't disagree, that over the course of Walter White's fall from grace, he hit the point where he could not be redeemed anymore. And they did have to end it. Spoilers, by the way. Uh, they did have to end it with him eventually just sacrificing himself. And he couldn't He couldn't just save the day and move on and be a hero. He had to sacrifice himself. Uh, I don't think Wanda's hit that point. I think she can be I redeemed. Uh, but there is a point where you could go too far. And arguably... I don't think we've hit that point, but arguably what she does to the Illuminati in this movie could have been the bridge too far. Oh, yeah, I think that, well, and so why don't we talk about the Illuminati? Oh, it's, I, that, that is the I, absolute geek out moment of this movie when, when the Illuminati come walking out. Uh, just, you know, it's it's a shame. One, one, of, one of my biggest Marvel Cinematic Universe regrets is, uh, and I don't want to make it about movies because this is about a man, but the passing of Chadwick Boseman because yeah. he should have been part of the Illuminati. Oh yeah. And, and that, you know, that, that was the, 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 the exclusion of two characters from the Illuminati is what, what the only thing about it that bothered me because I really wish we, you know, that Chadwick Boseman was still alive and I understand the respect they're showing him by not recasting the role, but it still makes me sad to not have that character in the Marvel universe. Uh, the other character I really, really wanted in there was the Submariner. Yes. Yeah. But sh- shy of that, I was so geeked out by what we got. So let's. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, Reed Richards, I thought, um, was the one that uh, John Krasinski, um, seeing him as Reed Richards. Um, I'm huge fan of The Office. At first, when you're telling me John Krasinski is Reed Richards, I'm thinking of Jim from The Office. I, in, and I'm loving him in um, and Amazon's. Um, 
storyline based on the Tom Clancy books. Um, why am I drawing a blank on that right now? Oh, um, Jack Ryan. Yes, thank you. Um, I kept wanting to say Jack Reacher just because I, I've been watching the Reacher show too. <laughs> but um, I, I Krasinski, I think is is a really cool actor. Uh, I love. I hope this leads to a Fantastic Four film. What I've because, heard. And again, mm-hmm. you know, I can't give you backup on this as, as absolute fact, but what I've heard is, you know, the fan call for John Krasinski to play Reed Richards has been around for a while, and Marvel has acknowledged that by trying to recruit him to do this, and this was basically his tryout in the role uh, to see if he liked it more than anything else. Uh, but also what I've heard is that they've already been shuffling things around um, I think they had named somebody to direct the Fantastic Four movie, and now they've moved that director. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm giving you vague vague things here without giving you names and facts. But I what I heard was they moved that director, that they're going to give him an Avengers movie instead, because they wanted to have the role open, uh, and that they were going to dangle the possibility of directing the movie to John Krasinski in an, in order to lure him in to do it. Well. And and having seen A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2, uh, I have a good deal of confidence that Krasinski is absolutely competent to uh, to handle the directing chores. And seeing him in this role, I, I, it was a total geek moment for me. I loved it. Yeah, he played it well. Because Reed, Reed Richards, I think, is a hard character to play. Because you have to get the right balance of He's really smart and to the point where sometimes he's hard to relate to, but you still have to like him. And I, in a, we have it's a short moment for him. You know, I mean, in comparison to, you know, a longer form thing you could be doing with the character. And I thought they did a really good job of using his screen time well. Uh, I, I loved the look of the costume. I loved his overall look with the, the bearded look and everything. I think it just really all worked well. Um, he had me believing the part. I loved the uh, special effects of him in action. I thought it just, it all worked. Mm-hmm. And it, it is proof of the concept. Boy, if, if that's what you were going for with this, you sold me. I, I like wanted to see more right away. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say my, my biggest disappointment with the Illuminati, besides wanting those other two characters in there, is in order to move the movie along, uh, Wanda had to defeat them in relatively short order. I would have liked to have seen the battle be a little bit more pitched and, and you know a little bit more give and take. Uh, before she finally was able to walk away from it. But I, I don't think, you know, the movie was already, how long are we in this movie? Uh, 126 minutes. So we're already over two hours in this movie. And I don't know that adding another 15 minutes worth of battle in here, or even 10 minutes, I, I, I don't know if that's warranted, but I would have liked to have seen it anyway. Oh, sure. And that's That, I think, is the, if there's one struggle the movie had... I don't want to say, you know, it's hard to say struggles, maybe not the right word that I'm looking for. Uh, it was two hours, what was two hours and 15 minutes, I think, was the runtime um, of the film. Two, hour, two and, hours and six minutes. Or two hours and six minutes. It was, I think uh, with the end credits and everything is where I'm, maybe I'm getting that from. Um, but what a great, I mean, they did a lot. I mean, that's a long movie by today's standards. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it's not not the same length as like the Batman or things like that, but I don't think 
you got to be very careful doing that with a lot of the superhero movies because people get put off by that long time frame. Anytime you're going over two hours, you're you're pushing it. Yeah, I agree. And and they they started to make the two hour, uh, you know, two hours plus almost a standard for a while. And I think they were falling into a a, a real danger of starting to turn off certain viewers. Yep. So I, I think it's it's better for them to try and streamline these things a little bit. Uh, you know, that said, again, I love the Illuminati in this movie. Uh, the inclusion of Peggy Carter as, as Captain Carter, uh, oh, that was great. And, you know, it was great that that came from uh, from What If. And, and uh, you know, that I, I you know, I also I kind of liked that she was the last person standing, you know, in very Captain America fashion. She, she my geek out i didn't know that she was gonna be in it i because i did really try hard to stay away so i knew that reed richards was going to be in or i knew enough i heard enough rumors that i'm like okay i wasn't shocked when i saw reed richards but that was a shock for me and i thought that was great yeah oh yeah i, I loved her in it uh I'm gonna I'm gonna work in reverse because I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the characters that I was most geeked out about and then I'll work my way back a little bit to to one that I was not quite as geeked out about at the time but have come to like more as we went on. Uh, so, you know, Patrick Stewart is getting up there in years and you know you you could see it in his performance he talks a little slower he's got that you know I hate to call it this but the old man voice. Uh, you know, he doesn't seem as formidable. Uh, I would have liked to have seen, again, a little bit more of a uh, astral plane battle between him and Wanda than we got. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think every one of these characters should have been able to just give a little bit more battle than than they did. But just the same, I, I, I geeked out when he came out, especially since it was to the music from the 97 cartoon. That was... That was I, in the theater that I was at, people were clapping, and I was thrilled, um, just because it felt like that moment, and it was it was a good choice. Um, I I'm with you on that. It would have been great if there was an extended cut of the battle in general, because I think so many more moments could have been had. But I get, you know, you're trying to show two Wanda's at this point immensely powerful, so. I, I get what they were doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he did a great job. And I think it was a good choice to get him in it because of the fact that you still can. I mean, it still works. Uh, but uh, the the sad part, all, the only sad part was it's getting to that point where you're realizing this isn't going to work too much longer. And he has been an amazing Charles Xavier. <laughs> yeah, always, he's like right off the pages. So yeah. so great. Um, Black Bolt. This, I'm gonna. Just, I think this is gonna probably be the most controversial thing I'm gonna say here, because I think so many people, so many people disagree with me. I did not dislike the Inhumans TV show. I didn't think it was great by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was all right. I, I was entertained by it. I thought it was okay. It's not like I watched it and then said, "Oh, I wish I could have that time back in my life." I, I, I get, you know, I got some pleasure out of it. And the fact that they brought Anson Mount back 
to play Black Bolt, to me, was also a geek moment. And to have him in costume, like in the comics, and even have him spread the wings under his arms to fly, I was totally on board with that. I loved it. Here's what I liked about it. it if you're saying this is the multiverse, right, and you're going to you're doing the wink and the nod to the cartoon for the X-Men. Um, you're, you're bringing in your, uh, what if characters you're bringing in the uh, Reed Richards, you know, a version of Reed Richards. Uh, and then you sit there and say, well, okay, we could bring in characters from the most recent Inhumans, but we're also missing the opportunity to acknowledge the fact that we had an Inhumans TV series. And because this is the multiverse. So I actually loved that they did this. Uh, and it's not, that's not me saying that like, I thought the Inhumans show was the greatest thing in the world. Uh, it, I, I like you did not think it was as bad as it was. It's been hit with, but I thought it was a great choice for this. This is the multiverse, you know, and why wouldn't you acknowledge that? I thought that that geeked me out because I'm like, oh, that was a bold, another bold move. I'm mm-hmm. like, because of, you know, you're you're choosing the controversial Black Bolt and bringing that one. And I'm like, good move, good move. I, I thought it made for, uh, so that was an interesting in, include, and also one I did not expect. So I, I thought, Thumbs up for the surprise factor because that would not have been the route I expected them to go, and I applaud them for doing it because that was like, okay, that's kind of cool, and this is the movie where that would work. Yeah, I kind of thought that that you know the prevailing mindset was let's pretend we never made that show. Yeah, and and like I said, to bring Anson Mount back and have him play the same, you know, play Black Bolt in it, uh, I I just thought it was great. Plus, especially now that he's developed a fan following with his uh, version of Captain Pike. I, yes. I really think it was a, a good move to bring him in for that. You know, just, just to touch on the Inhuman series, my my biggest problem with the Inhuman series was kind of twofold. One, that they were not at the point where they were going to uh, really respect the comic history with, you know, the, the costumes and all uh, at that point, and two, that they tried to save on some special effects by, like, having them shave Medusa's head. Uh, you know, that was that was that was my biggest problem with it. But otherwise, I thought it was kind. Of, I thought it was decent, and I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, and I think this did a nice job of, in some ways, I think putting him in the costume and everything that they did was kind of a wink and a nod to this is what we could have done. <laughs> yeah, I think they would have been better off had they done that. I think it would have been more popular than it was. But you know. Whatever it was, it was a missed missed opportunity as far as uh, pulling the fans into that series, and uh, this this was, I think this was them saying, hey, you know, we still have something here, and and I, I yeah. was cool with that. The character that kind of threw me off a little bit was Maria Rambeau as Captain Marvel. I, I was trying to figure out, you know, who who is that? That's Captain Marvel, and she's got the old time Cree uniform on, and like I, I had to actually like find that out afterwards that it was you know a situation where you know she ended up with the powers instead of carol danvers so she was captain marvel and you know that's that's where they went with that and and that was all you know that was all fine but it didn't give me a geek out moment the way the other characters did i like the actress um you know her appearance in the bond movie and things like that i, I actually grow to really like the actress so i thought i that part was more compelling to me because I actually think the actress is really strong that then to your point, the character choice, 
So um, it, it was interesting what drew me to that one instead of going, well, this is like a, a geek out character moment. Um, I thought I thought she had a really great battle sequence. Like I liked her final battle with Wanda. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was very well done showing, you know, the power set and Wanda going up against that because kind of the, to you where you were going at that point, we had not seen Wanda really have much of a battle with the Inhumans at all. I mean, with the Inhumans, I'm sorry, the Illuminati at all. And, you know, I mean, they were each having their own little special moments and things. And I'm, I'm not being overly critical of it. I kind of get what they were doing with her power. But I wanted to see somebody give her something to really deal with. And I thought that Captain Marvel was the first one that really, I'm like, oh, maybe she's going to hurt her. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be... This is going to be somebody who can at least go toe-to-toe. And that, if anything, it gave me more respect for Wanda's powers to see what it took for her to defeat Captain Marvel. Right, right. And, I I mean, the other member of the Illuminati was Mordo, uh, who we kind of left out. Uh, I like that he had his Lando Calrissian introduction to the show, to the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, wait, wait, you know, it was... uh, you know, coming up like he was going to fight him and then hugging him, but then doing the extra sw- switch of having him turn out to really not like Strange and be against him just the same. Uh, you know, I thought that was that was a good build up on on what we got from Mordo in the first movie. Uh, and and to some extent, and I've talked about this in the past, which I always like, is when you know they they at least mildly subvert your expectations. And I thought they did it doubly by first having him be friendly to him and then having him be an enemy. Yeah, it was that was really played out and pretty well, and to the point where I wasn't overly shocked with the drugging of the the drinks, but yet. It was convincing enough that they were buddy buddy that I wasn't surprised, but yet I found it like and I was like, oh no! And, I mean, it was it was it had enough of effect on me where I'm, I'm like, okay, I was I'm not surprised, but I was swerved, and that it was like the right balance of it, uh, and. It led into a cool. I thought the whole sequence played out really, really well. Where it was just enough of a. It was kind of, land. I think the Lando comparison could not be more spot on because <laughs> it felt a lot like that sequence. Yeah, and it's it's long enough since Empire Strikes Back that I think you can get away with it without yep. feeling like oh they were doing that again. Um, I guess the only other character worth really getting into is. Uh, Christine Palmer, as played by Rachel McAdams. I thought her performance, honestly, was a little inconsistent. Uh, There were parts in it where I thought she was excellent, and then there's parts towards the end of the movie where it kind of felt to me like she she must have been, like, exhausted or something because she didn't seem quite as into it towards the end of the movie. And I don't think it's that... Christine was exhausted so much as something, and Rachel McAdams was exhausted. Uh, you know, maybe she's just not, you know, used to the more or less action role that she was playing. Uh, so I, I didn't think there was a real detriment to the movie because of her, but I don't think she added quite as much as what I would have, or what I was hoping for from her earlier, you know, or the earlier parts of the movie. 
I think the other piece that they were trying to do with that, and I, I guess this is because I, I, str- I actually enjoyed her more in my second viewing with it, because I like her a lot as an actress. I think she's a very talented actress. And I, the first time through, I, I had the same issue. The second time through, I still had certain elements of that, but I, I kind of got what they were going for. It almost seemed like the second time through, they were trying to show that she and Steven did not have like the same like loving relationship because of what happened to that world, Steven. And it's almost like she was in a crazy way embracing the fact that her Christine's were different and their relationships with Steven were different. Mm-hmm. The backstory with Steven was different. And it's almost like we needed more time to kind of flesh that out a bit. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, um, I, I think so. I think I think they could have done a little bit more to flesh it out. And I think her character would have felt richer for it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's interesting, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, what you need to watch before you watch this. You know, and, and again, I think you could watch this as a standalone movie. But there's areas where I think you benefit from having a greater knowledge. And in this instance, I think you get a greater appreciation for that relationship if you watch the What If episode with Doctor Strange. Yes. So that that's one where I feel like, you know, that I, I, I love that they did What If as a cartoon and then work that into the movies. I just think that's so cool. And it's, that was one of the things about Captain Carter that was so great. I think that's where the MCU, I think, has been really successful. I think that uh, if you're a fan that's watched everything, little nuggets of everything kind of bleed over. So that was why, kind of when you mentioned Black Bolt before, I was like, that was cool that they brought him in. Because, again, they're acknowledging the fact that these things existed, even though it's been kind of like that one's been kind of hidden in the background. What if I thought um, the fact that they played what if into this so much um, was really great. Uh, especially because of the fact that they kind of got thrown through a cartoon world, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and you got to see that that world get kind of uh, a cartoon world get fleshed out in this um, with, um, you know, the real actors um, playing them in real life. It was nice to see that. Um, I I um, they they have done a really good job behind the scenes of keeping this sense of a greater interconnectivity going. Uh, which is a challenge. I think it's much more challenged, challenging to do between television and film than it is, um, you know, in the we're used to very used to this in the comic world. Right. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, so moving off the cast now, and I just wanted to take a couple of minutes to talk about, well, twofold, uh, Sam Raimi's direction and uh, the musical score by uh, what's uh Danny Elfman. And, uh, you know, any, any thoughts uh, off the top of your head on that? The musical store, score I really enjoyed. I, I just like Danny Elfman's music. I, Danny Elfman gets these type of films. Uh, it's funny, sometimes I hear criticisms of the MCU, you know, where you know people say, well, you know, it's another Marvel movie. And I don't know, I grew up in the 80s with action films. And I loved action films. And I think very similar to how we referenced the Marvel films earlier. Some action films are rewatchable where you can watch them over and over again. They have the great lines, the great action sequence. Other ones were ones that 
you saw them once or twice and they were better left in the 80s, <laughs> if that makes sense. But yet it wasn't in the 80s. It wasn't a waste of time to go and see them. It was a good experience. And sometimes it was it was a good afternoon flick. I'm glad I saw it. I don't need to own it. Uh, and I think that's you can take a look at certain movies in the MCU and kind of go with the same thing. Like I may rewatch it again because I'm I want to watch things chronologically, but they aren't necessarily a must watch. And I think Danny Elfman's music is an example of where he takes these movies and gives them that kind of rounding off, you know, like sandpapering it down, getting rid of the rough edges and giving it that sound quality that you need. Um, when he's involved in a film, I just really love his understanding of building tension. Uh, sometimes we're maybe that we talked about certain cases where development wasn't there or there wasn't enough time spent on action or and some that's where his music will or will sometimes bring an intensity that they weren't able to give the extra 15 minutes to that you would have liked. And that's pretty critical in a film like this where you've got to make, you know, it's two hours and six runtime that you were mentioning earlier. And you have to make some choices. You really need somebody who understands the musical piece of this. And this was another film that I thought from a music standpoint, I'm like, wow, there wasn't like at a point in time where I felt like the music wasn't a important part of this film. And it knew when to be subtle and it knew when to be bold and take over and take you emotionally where you needed to go. And I thought that was a success of this film. This film was fun. And I think the music was a big part of that. See, I think Danny Elfman, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff he's done. That's been exceptionally clever and really set a mood that I enjoyed. And then there's other times where I felt like, I don't know if his heart wasn't in it or if he just didn't have the same inspiration, but where it was like, yeah, that's just Danny Elfman music. Um, this one, I kind of felt like his heart was in it, and I felt like he was inspired in some ways, and I thought this had a really strong score that didn't necessarily scream Danny Elfman at you, but screamed the moodiness that we needed for the certain scenes. And I really, you know, I have to give him credit for that because, again, I don't think that's always been the case. I think what you're hitting the nail on the head with, too, is I think sometimes for musicians it's got to be tough when you're doing – repeated sequels or maybe the same type of concept over and over again um where um let's use batman for an example and i'm not saying that danny elfman's any of danny elfman's batman work is bad or anything like that but i can imagine if you're danny elfman and you're doing yet another batman project there comes a point in time where it's like i've done this mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know and and i i've got my i've done my batman style of music i understand that and it, i don't want to say phoning it in is the right thing but maybe there's not that kind of sense of something new and fresh or something to play with that i could see a musician you know thriving for that thing where it's like oh this is a challenge or you know telling this kind of story is different whereas this film had some wacky stuff going on and i would imagine a musician of uh, danny elfman's caliber you know, there's a lot to go. Oh, I can, I can play. I can play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, I always use John John Williams as my gold standard of uh, of, of yes. movie scoring. And if you think about how many Star Wars movies he's scored, and 
if you listen superficially, you're going to say, well, it's, it's the Star Wars theme. It's Star Wars music. It's no big deal. But if you listen more closely, you hear where he kind of veered off on certain ones and where he created different themes for different characters. Uh, and, and, you know, you could see that there were certain times where, where even though it's now, okay, it's now his fifth Star Wars movie, it's his sixth Star Wars movie, but you could see where, where he still pulled up some inspiration as they would go along. And again, you just have to appreciate the, uh, the creativity that that requires. And I think, you know, I think you hit it on the head a little bit that, you know, you, you know, you're in the same genre and it's not easy, but I do think that Elfman kind of stepped it up in this one. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think I tip my hat to him on that. Uh, as far as Raimi goes, I thought he did a real nice job of not necessarily making this the, you know, put quotations around it, the, Stan, the, the Sam Raimi film. But I also think he had a couple of his key things. You know, in, most people don't do zombies as well as Raimi. Most people don't do creepy as well as Raimi. And he had his creepy moments and his zombie moments, but he didn't overdo it. Uh, you know, he, he did manage to have, uh, what's his name in there, uh, his... Uh, same Bruce uh, Bruce Campbell. He did manage to work him in, which is you know a signature Raimi moment. But I, I thought he did a nice job of just keeping this movie with everything that was going on to keep it where you kind of could follow what was going on, even if you didn't have a, a deep knowledge of the MCU. Uh, and that's that's critical. And and this movie, if if he hadn't done that, this movie I think this movie would have fallen flat on its face. So I I, I give him credit for that as well. I think to a certain extent, like having doing things like a little wink and a nod to zombies, a, a wink and a nod with Bruce Campbell. I think you need to, because we're all, you know, you get, you start geeking out as a film fan and go, okay, a Sam Raimi film, you know, acknowledge that, that it's a Sam Raimi film and have that, but don't over, you're nailing it. He didn't overdo it. And I think there is a danger as a, as a creative to kind of, get trapped into putting too much of your stamp on it and then not giving it a unique identity. And I felt like this film had the right balance of showing us it's a good Sam Raimi film without feeling like I've already treaded this ground before. Like, uh, okay, I'm seeing another, I'm seeing another Sam Raimi film. Kind of the same, same uh, danger I talked I, about with, yeah. with, uh, Danny Elfman. You know, there's too much of a risk of falling into that trap, but I don't think either of them did in this movie. I, yeah, I agree. And that was something that they both had in common on this one. There seemed to be an energy about this. This was fun. And, um, there, that was a piece that I, I've said it more than once on this. And it's, it's kind of an important theme for me on, on this because I don't need every film to be fun, but I felt like this film had a fun factor to it. That was part of my enjoyment to it in a big way. And it, it goes back to what I said. It wasn't silly. It didn't go out of its way to be that, but there was a, a right amount of fun in it. That um, I, I think all, all the creatives involved in this did a really good job of keeping throughout the film. And it gave it for me some extra credit where I would have been more I it stopped me from being more critical of some things that otherwise, if the film didn't have the fun factor that it had, I'd, I'd be sitting here going, boy, this part really bothered me. That part really bothered me. It gave it some extra credit mm. where it, 
it likely needed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there was a lot of challenge to making this movie. And I, I, mm-hmm. I you know, again, uh, you know, I've heard mixed reviews on it, but I, in my opinion, they, they stepped up to the plate and, and, and made a, 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 a very enjoyable movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Any other aspect of this one that you want to hit on that I may have missed before we give it the big question? Um, do we want to talk the little end, the middle mini end credits scene, just a, the wink and a nod? Because I think there was a, speaking of Doctor Strange comics, sure, um, the sure, yeah, the mid credits. I'm glad you you mentioned that because I forgot to mention that. Uh, I think they've they've hit the casting of Clea on the nose. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, obviously this wasn't, you know, let's let's bring her in here and, and have her appear for 20 seconds and move on. This is obviously something they're going to build on in the future. And I, I love it. I just thought it was, you know, you know, it, it left me wanting more. Yeah, I, I, I was excited for the next film. I mean, they're obviously teasing that this is going to continue and there will be another Doctor Strange film. And they did the they did just the right amount of here's truthfully what they showed me there i don't need to see anything else just make it tell me when it's coming out and i will go i don't want to see a trailer for it i don't need to see a trailer for it just make the movie they gave me the trailer midway through that's the only trailer i need to see another movie well it's it's again it's it's what i talked about earlier if you know you're going to see the movie and i guarantee you i will see the movie uh, I don't want you to spoil any more for me. Don't show me any of it until I sit down and watch it. Let me watch it clean. Uh, you know, I know that that doesn't work that way. But, you know, you know, it, Charlize Theron is as clear. I mean, it's just genius as far as I'm concerned. And and I do think, you know, much like Wong, uh, I think in the early earlier days of her character, she wasn't portrayed as strong as she could have been. And I think they did... Uh, built her up over the years in the MC in, in, in the actual comic universe. I think at one point she may have even been Sorcerer Supreme in the comic universe, although that was during an era when I wasn't actually reading Dr. Strange, but early, early on, she was the damsel in distress. There's a cool series out now called strange. Um, and I, I won't spoil anything for anybody listening to this, but, um, if you're interested in her at all, that would be a series to go look at right now. I may do that. So she's a, she's a, uh, it's a, it's a cool character. And I, and I, again, I am not, I am not incredibly well versed on reading Dr. Strange, but, um, I did get drawn to this new series strange that they currently got running. It's a mini, I believe it's a mini series, but, um, I'm a, I'm a few issues in and, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. I may have to seek that out. Uh, but yeah, it, it just made me look forward to what's to come. Even more than I already was, which I was anyway. So, all that said, I think now it's time to say, where does this fall on the scale for you? So on the Jaws scale, I would go with Jaws 2. And I'm struggling with that one because uh, it's it's funny to say I really like, and I want to be clear because you, you referenced this earlier. I really liked the first Doctor Strange, but I like this one better. And I find that happens like I would not say that Doctor Strange shouldn't have been made. I lo- it's one of those like I would rewatch Doctor Strange, but I feel like if I was going to go in the category of it, it, it certainly 
comes below this one uh, only because of the fact that we've gotten out of the way, the introductions to the character, the character now has had some evolution. I really liked Doctor Strange a lot more in this, which is an important part of a Doctor Strange movie. And when I say I liked him more, I found him compelling. Like, I, he's there's times where he's not likable. And in the sense that you want to smack him upside the head because of (laughs) the way he presents himself. But what made this what made this Jaws 2 for me is I will rewatch this again. I saw it a second time, not because I had to for this recording. I was excited to watch it again. So I was feeling it fresh for you and I to chat and nothing forced me to do that. I just was motivated to. I want to own this. I want to. I will watch it again. So that it, it falls into that category of it's not there with Jaws where it's you know like it, it's like top tier, but it's certainly a really good film. And it's not. It doesn't. Not perfect. There's some rough edges around it, but the substance of it, the core of it, is something that will bring me back to watch more of it. Yeah, I don't think I necessarily disagree with anything you're saying there. Um, it's you got me thinking about comparing it to the first one uh as far as that goes as i mentioned earlier i do think that they got the character of dr strange better in this uh i think that the story was com- was was even more complex and i think the first one had some complexity to it as well this one took that a step further this one had some challenges to it and and i think not the least of which was adding a you know, a teenage sidekick uh, who people weren't going to be familiar with and seeing if, you know, that would stick. And I think uh, it was done surprisingly well uh, and that it was, you know, it worked surprisingly well. And I, you know, I give credit to the writer, the director and the actors for that. Uh, I definitely think it falls in the Jaws 2 category. Uh, I think it can't. It, it's not going to be Jaws one because there are some rough edges to it. I think it's not going to be George th- Jaws three because it definitely has that rewatchability and the geek out moments. I think it's in my mind clearly a Jaws two. Uh, so you know, I, I disagree with people who who didn't like it, but you know, hey, to each their own. They didn't like it, you know, then that's just not your cup of tea, and that's fine. Uh, but I I I just you know totally enjoyed it and uh i i look forward to when i get a chance to see it again yeah yeah i i think that's um this has been a fun one to talk about because it was an interesting sort of film and you're right the chat you get you've referenced multiple times during our conversation about the challenges of this film and it's interesting in this past couple years in particular that we've had to see what artistic talent have done to kind of, you know, it's not all about COVID and that's not, not every challenge that we're talking about here is COVID related, but I think making a film and making it work with some of the challenges that have occurred during the COVID times, you know, as far as release shuffling and what that's done to films and how they've had to change release order and delays and all of those pieces um, have sometimes hit momentum even on films. And um, it's interesting to, I think this was an uh, important film to talk about just because of the fact that it kind of fell smack in the middle of all of that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's a, a complicated story. 
You know, this mm-hmm. this this wasn't a you know a simplistic uh, you know by the numbers story. So I, I think there's there, there was challenges even in a non-COVID time to just put it together and make it. It could have just put. It, I think it would have been easier for this movie to fail than to succeed. Uh, just because of the challenges that were presented story-wise. So the fact that in my mind, and you're, uh, clearly in your mind too, it did succeed, uh, I, I think that you know that says a lot. I'm glad they're playing. And I think it's important in the MCU if you're going to keep it fresh, because there was one of the pieces that you brought up earlier that I think is a common criticism of it, like that sometimes there's criticism out there that makes it sound like the MCU is just like this one static thing. And I think movies like this fly in the face of that because they're experimental and not every element of all the experiment works, but I think it's important to do these type of things where they play around with the, with how they're telling stories so that we get things that continue to feel fresh and different and take advantage of that. And then I, I thought that's the part that really, I think stuck out for me for this. Agreed. Film. Agreed. I, 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 disagree with the people who say that the the Marvel Cinematic Universe has become formulaic because I think we've seen so many different types of movies in here you know we've we're we're blending movies together and it's this is where you know another point where I got to give uh, Infinity War and Endgame so much credit because they they've made movies that are comedies and that are horror movies and that are action movies and that are political intrigue movies and they were able to take all of these and combine these characters and put them together into one universe and I think it's just unbelievably exciting for me as, as somebody who grew up reading these things. While keeping an independent identity of the films. And that's that's the challenge. That is really the challenge. So uh, all that said, Sean, I want to thank you again for coming on. It's always a pleasure when we get a chance to talk. And I really appreciate you making time for me. Uh, I, I always enjoy doing this. I enjoy talking with you. And it's, it's fun to uh, just get the idea of different, sometimes different ways that we see these films. So I, 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 it's always a joy. I'm always here if there's an opportunity to come on and, and uh, be a part of your podcast. So all that said, just uh, before we call it a day, why don't you give a, another quick uh, in, indication of where people can find you if they don't already know. Yeah, um, I do a weekly podcast called Raging Bullets. It's a DC Comics fan podcast. Um, we're available at RagingBullets.com and all of your favorite podcatchers out there. And uh, very similar to how Paul and I were talking today, we, we try to engage in a positive discussion around uh, today's comic releases. So uh, certainly if uh, you enjoyed me on here, please feel free to check me out. I just would say I've, I've enjoyed Sean and his co-host Jim Segulin for many years uh, now listening to their show, and uh, it just occurs to me now that we should—I should invite both of you together on for some some movie. If you get that, well, you should come our way too and talk comics. So uh, we should make that happen because it'd be nice to have you on our show and uh, you know uh, be able to for you to chat about a DC book or something like that that you'd like to you'd be particularly interested or a storyline that you'd be interested in talking about. So let's let's make that happen as well. I'd look forward to that very much. Uh, In the meanwhile, thank you again, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Stephen Strange. Jason Carter. First Avenger. Black Agar Baltadun, keeper of the Terrigen Mists, the Inhuman King. Black Agar. Defender of the Cosmos. And the smartest man alive, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. Final member. Professor Charles Xavier. Watch.